0: Well, hey Jason, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Dan. How are you?
0: I am pretty good. This, you know, we've made it uh, to our ninth episode, almost perfect ten.
1: Nine episodes. Yeah, that's amazing.
0: I know. I know.
1: I have no other comment other than that's amazing. I, I guess it's amazing. But that means that we've been talking about the news and edge, cloud, and mobile for the last nine nine weeks. Times.
0: So one of the things that uh, we could visit today. Uh-huh. is uh, we could talk about things like 5G security. It's a new topic for us. <laughs> okay. You know, where you just, right. you know, that's one thing. We've got um, cloud native prioritization.
1: Okay. That Google sounds... Google
0: has long distance lasers.
1: Uh, don't be a bird.
0: <laughs> talk <laughs> about that. And um, I would like to hear, you know, I know you're going to be on the floor covering live, the microsoft event uh tomorrow but maybe you know that's your that's your whole thing is to cover those but you know maybe we could uh hear what you think of all that
1: okay yeah sounds good to me
0: uh our first uh first article though and for people you know people have been stopping me on the street a lot recently and they've been like where can i go to get the show notes you know really yeah like people will i'll be driving i'll be at a stoplight and i'll see people like just sticking crazy in the car next to me i'll roll down the wind
1: you'll you'll just be there in texas and someone shouts out
0: yo dan yeah they'll be like are you dan benjamin yeah they're like where's the show notes for your show with jason i'll say oh and i so i just want to reiterate that it's living on the edge dot show that's where people can go and you'll see all the episodes this one is number nine
1: two o's and two e's
0: right (laughs) that's right (laughs) yeah so that's what they need to do all right sounds great uh, but our first article here is titled "Cloud Native to Be a Telco Mainstay." Poll. This is a poll
1: by by my good friend Ray. Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, so the results of the poll, I think uh-huh. I think our audience will be uh, shocked. They're shocking results. Mm-hmm. That they are. Yes, I think anyone okay. is just you know. So I hope our listeners are seated and sedated. To hear this part, the question was Will all telcos adopt cloud native practices throughout their network and operations teams? And 52% of those uh, polled said yes, Mm -hmm. all telcos will embrace cloud native. It's already becoming the norm. Mm -hmm. 32% stepped up and said the desire is there and cloud native will play a major role, but it won't be dominant. And then the the remaining, like, 15% is um, mostly saying, some will, some won't, but it'll only be in silos within telcos. And then 1%, no, it's not going to happen for the majority of telcos. They just don't get it.
1: Uh, Sounds good. I mean, so where should we draw the line on this, you think?
0: Well, I mean, I think 52% of people – probably know something, but where well, would you do? Would, I mean, one
1: way, well, so 97% of people say they're, that cloud native is something they have to account for. Right. Okay. That's pretty good. It seems good. Um, It seems good. I mean, it's, um, Uh, I mean, I, I think it's funny when the thing's like, it'll play a major role, but it won't be dominant because I don't know those, those, those words usually go together. I
0: was going to say mind. that that's, that's like jumbo um, shrimp there.
1: It's like jumbo shrimp. Mm-hmm. The, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I get, it goes back to, remember, the, remember when I asked you what you thought cloud native was? And yeah, you said, absolutely. Um, it's things that were developed to be on the cloud. Yeah. And, and that is, um, you know, continues to be sort of the cloud native computing foundations, you know definition from a few years ago. was just that it's about building and running scalable applications in quote-unquote modern dynamic environments such as public, private, and hybrid clouds. Right. And they go and mention a few things, whether it be containers, uh, having service mesh type designs, the use of microservices, immutable infrastructure, declarative APIs. These are all exemplifies this uh, approach, as, as they would say. And I, and I think that's, um, you know, I've, I've read it enough that I, I don't think I got it exactly right, but that but that's basically um, that's basically the the idea, and most of it's around these types of loosely coupled messaging systems that can still be resilient and observable and and and, and everything else. I mean, the thing that I would basically say here is, um, it's not really up to telcos anyway, mm-hmm. because the public clouds will be a very large footprint period. They will be investing in the technologies that underlie those footprints in such dominant ways that the nature of chips and hard drives and systems and that type of thing will be very influenced by what Amazon, Microsoft, Google does with their clouds, right? And um, operators themselves do very little in-house development of cloud-native network functions. And it's going to come down to their software supply chain and how they're procuring and how they're contracting and supporting things that then fundamentally feeds into what it is that their vendor base is going to be doing. If the vendor base, for example, and we we saw this like in my days at Ericsson, there was a lot of advantages to being quote-unquote cloud-native and we used it for internal R and D efficiency so that we could make several products from one development stream. But the customers still wouldn't buy it as a cloud native product that buy it as a traditional sort of appliance type model. Mm-hmm. But on the inside, guess what? All cloud native. <laughs> so, you know, on, on one hand, there's, um, you know, there, there, there I, Just my, my persistent point around being "quote unquote" cloud native is just that it, it's a phrase that means different things to different people. Uh, people are not very well refined and or strict, and really, sort of how they use it. It is as simple as if it's running on a public cloud, it's cloud native. If it, can, if it can run on a public cloud, it's cloud native. Um. And, uh, oh, we have a DevOps team, so now we're cloud native. But what I would really encourage people is to get to a lot more of the normal words that people use on sort of the product side, talking about, you know, what the technical requirements are for these things. You know, so there you'll talk about an accessibility strategy, what's your resiliency model, you know, what's the assumptions around the underlying reliability of that hardware uh, how are you doing distributed systems i mean you're doing a number of those things so the the closer we can get to terms that actually mean something technical and operationally you know the better um, but you know the takeaway on this is is that people say you know 97% of people say cloud native is going to be involved in the future of telco fine sounds good
0: i would also so throw that back to you and say how could it not be that's why I, that's the same thing I, that you you were probably saying about you know cloud uh, in general you know what ten years ago or whatever like of course it's going to be and I feel course. like the people who who came in and said no they just don't get it or telco management will fail to embrace like I feel like they're the ones that don't get
1: it yeah that or it just doesn't necessarily matter to them um, I mean you have to keep in mind that. Uh, There's a number of telcos that they're fundamentally running a business where they are selling devices. People are signing up for plans. Uh, They might be running a retail experience and customer support around that. Yet all their software, all their hardware, maybe even the network itself is all outsourced. Uh, You know, meaning like you may be using a managed service where one of the suppliers is literally the ops team for your entire network. Right. So there's a decent percentage of you know the 650 700 mobile operators out there that don't necessarily run the network they're on anyways. So how they think about it you know doesn't matter, I right. guess from that 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 point of view. Sure. Uh, but there's a there's things where the vendor community is always going to try to, to drive down the unit cost of developing things. The more you can develop out of a single team or a single work stream, the better. Uh, If certain technologies take the cost out of the development and the support process, those technologies will be adopted. Um, You know, a lot of the whole approach in cloud native, quote-unquote, has always been around continuously improving unit economics, so that plugs right into that type of thinking. Uh, And, uh, you know, and then on the operator side... You know, if I was sitting at an operator, I wouldn't be talking about are we cloud native or not. I'd dig into the details of what truly is our software supply chain. Right. Um, how are we procuring, and what type of requirements are we putting, you know, on these folks? Um, so, for example, if you're going to your vendor base and telling them um, you need to indemnify me against an outage, or you need to be doing this. Um, where fundamentally what I'm buying from my vendors is an insurance policy, mm. That, in order for them to execute on that insurance policy, I may be giving up um, really sort of influence on what the technical and operational design is because it'll be whatever it needs to be to basically make so that they don't have to deliver on a claim against that insurance policy I just <laughs> bought from them. right? And so I think people have to be mindful of you know, am I am I actually engaging with my vendor community as a way to offload risk to them? Uh, am I engaging with my vendor community as a way of actually uh, trying to be innovative and and drive certain things ahead? Am I uh, engaging with my vendor community in a way that uh, I can influence the technologies that they use? I mean, you have to sort of be honest about where you are in there. And what I what I've come to observe a lot in the the operator community is that if they have the ability in a vendor relationship to effectively offload risk to that vendor, mm-hmm. they will do that. And then um, if they attempt to have other technical inputs on what it would take to go do that, if there's any conflict there, like we can't technically do that for you. And then also guarantee this is going to be up all the time. Uh, then that technology inputs just gets left on the factory floor. Hmm. So
0: that's a sad story you've ever told.
1: No, it's not sadder. There's no emotion to it. It's just a matter of um, how you begin to think about these things. The you know, I know what I mean is at the end of the day, there's somebody sitting there doing a job where they're writing code, shipping code, supporting it as a software product, operating it. You know, like the the like the way that you would go and describe these in good functional terms, right? Right. Um, I mean, if I was the marketing manager for 2.5 G, uh, I would describe it as a cloud native core messaging, uh, software system designed via reactive programming style. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. You could, cause it, that's legitimately, you could say that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but. Because when you dig down into like, okay, well, these are the the, the, the the real words that you would use to describe what that requirement there is, um, you know, it, it, it satisfied uh, those, those types of things. Right. Um, but, you know, people get what they procure for. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's where, like I said, that, that, that's where a lot of the sort of uh, um, technology conversations are like almost pointless in the telco space. Because it just comes down to being able to be cost effective as a vendor in this entire sort of community. And then what type of uh, guarantees you're having to put around your product.
0: The next article that we have, Jason, um, has some very interesting numbers in it. Oh, really? Articles entitled, Edge Computing Has a Bright Future Even If Nobody's Quite Sure What It Looks Like. And there is a review uh, okay. of the technological, economic, and industrial future of edge computing across the EU. And they uh-huh. said that Google claimed that its admins monitor, this is, was interesting to me, its uh, admins monitor 10,000 servers each compared to one admin per 100 servers in standard enterprise class data centers. Yeah. And Amazon's data centers as three and a half times more energy efficient in similar comparison. Yeah,
1: but that's like, I mean, yeah, so even that number you pulled up, I mean, that was Urs's uh, 2005 numbers that he used in warehouse scale computing, yeah. WSC, meaning like what what uh, often the uh, industrialized approach to building a data center, you know, the walls of the data center is a chassis. So, right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny that you know, in both uh, and I need and I need to read the entire European Industrial Technology Roadmap for next generation cloud edge offering. Um, Me too. That was made in May. Um, it's a big document, um, and uh, you know, meaning I think it's seventy six pages, that kind of thing. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, it's one of these, you know, the, the, those. The, the numbers of, uh, of you know, t- ten thousand servers monitored by one admin, and all sort of here and there. I mean, those are um, the fact that we're still typing something in twenty twenty one that I literally think was um I'm, that I read in two thousand five, and hers would give talks abouts a little um dated, I guess. Yeah. To be polite. Yeah. So. And then the moral story is, yes, there are people that have large-scale infrastructure, the right software that runs that infrastructure. And when that software runs that infrastructure, human beings, guess what, do not run that infrastructure. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One thing that it it does say, and I want to get your take on this too, is they say if your edge deployment is to take a lot of data processing away from the cloud, these are economies of scale that it may have to fight. And these are the raw economies that make cloud so dominant and that they're not changing.
1: That's yeah, also not, not true. Never been true. That's not a true statement. It's a common statement, but it just isn't true. So
0: so thumb two thumbs down on that article.
1: Uh, I mean, the thing about it is, uh, sorry to say, but but Amazon, Microsoft, Google doesn't get spectacularly different chip pricing than other people. You, you, you can be relatively, quote unquote, small scale and uh, be within what that is it's not uh people always say economies of scale yeah and then you say okay but at some point uh that that um hits a limit you know meaning that you have to have land Mm -hmm. uh, you have to generate your own energy yeah uh you have to have access to water um you know You can build a gigawatt size facility that, quote-unquote, has, um, I don't know, advantages of scale. Uh, Okay, but those tend to be modularized to the point where a gigawatt size facility is more like 110 meg facilities or 50-20 meg facilities. Because you tend to be the sort of sweet sweet spot right now is building out footprints that are in about the 5 to 20 megawatt. You know, kind of footprints, you put 50 of those in place. Now you got a gigawatt facility. Um, that's a big-ass facility. Uh, and um, that economy of scale you have in a quote-unquote cloud where, um, I mean, there's, there's ways where you could build a gigawatt facility where it's got, it's, it's, it's more expensive and has additional cost to it. That fifty twenty megawatt facilities might not. Uh, it can be entirely depend on the software stack that you have on there and what the base assumptions are. Um, it, I mean, there, there's there's, um, you know, the the better way to think about it is Amazon, Microsoft, Google, they have people there that write their own software, mm-hmm. and they have very few, if no, software subsuppliers supplying them up technology that it takes to operate what they do. So everybody that does the job of running Amazon, Microsoft, Google's clouds, they work there. And they have the ability to change the software and influence the software and the architecture on how that goes. And so you have that type of interactivity I'm talking about where you know, you can make changes in the software. You can do different hardware designs. You can push the envelope. You can drive sort of a long-term technology strategy. What everybody else who, if you can't do that, then you have to go buy something right, from right, somebody, right. <laughs> right? And so, if you have to go buy something from somebody, then how you're sourcing that and how it's coming in, and there's other people involved, you know, um, that's going to be slower and more expensive, or there's going to be some trade-off relative to what Amazon, Microsoft, Google can do, right? Makes sense. So, Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, but, um, you know, and I think to me it always comes down to, okay, if you look at the business that you're in, what do you really do as a business? And, um, you know, what what can, can you develop from a long-term technology strategy? Where maybe that strategy is, we don't and don't ever want to develop any of these technologies in-house. We don't have to be cutting edge. We can be like twenty percent back. But how do we basically have a strategy that lets us sort of ride this part of the innovation curve and sort of stay ahead on there? Okay, and, that, and that's now that's our strategy. Um, and uh, you know, if you're a, a tractor company, you're not Microsoft. So you're kind of stuck. No, not necessarily. No, no. I mean, it's like, it just, um, I, th- what I, what I mean about this is it's, it's, there's always these generalities of, Oh, if you want to go build this, oh you're not going to get it. I mean, it goes back to my basic complaint. If you want to go build this, you're not gonna be able to buy, you know, chips as cheap as Amazon can. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it gets pretty damn close. You know, not not in a uh, – but if you're running a business where, you know, it's like you take people to do high-frequency trading, they run these things on 120 servers. You think they give a shit whether a chip is 15% cheaper than they're like doing like a trillion in trades for the goddamn thing in a yeah, day. They don't right. care.
0: True, true.
1: They don't care. I mean, literally, their infrastructure costs twice as much. It'd still be a rounding error. Very true. So just, I mean, it just depends on what business you're in. Uh, and um, and I think too many of the articles about cloud out there is almost assuming that everybody reading it looks in that and goes, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's that, that's true." And it's because, oh, I'm in the cloud business too. No, you're not in the cloud business. Amazon, Microsoft, Google's in that business. You're in some other business. <laughs> so, at what point are they in the cloud business? Well, Look, I, I think it's it's this, it's simpler. You, you look at what you need to do uh, and, and I think this is where uh, you know what's his face is sort of jobs to be done is a uh, I'm sorry to call him what's his face because but uh, I'm, I'm literally blanking on it but you look at the sort of typical jobs to be done way of thinking you have a company and you need to hire something to do a job for you right and that something can be a person it can be another company. It can be a body. It can be a product from somebody else. That product can be a hardware product. It can be a hardware software product. It can be a body of software from them. Uh, It can be something that, you know, that's how it goes. Uh, And the reason that you would sit around and pick any one of those, presumably, is that they'd be better. And better is always better, faster, cheaper. If you can develop your own functionality faster, then do it in-house. If you can't, then don't.
0: I think there are a lot of companies, though, that are in that situation, not just in the cloud or the edge space, but just trying to make that kind of choice of do we build it? Do we not build it? And are we going to be at a point with edge with cloud where uh, the telcos, the choice will sort of be made that, of course, of course, this is the right way to do it? Or do you think there will always be? I mean, outliers is the right word, but there, there will always be those cases where they'll want to do it themselves. They won't want to do anything with Amazon, with Microsoft. I think it's
1: – no, because I think it's uh, it's always – because like, just like any, any business, when you head into the, the telco and mobile network operator domain and the like, it comes down to um, who's making what investments in moving things forward. Uh, right. and fundamentally what percent of your top line revenue are you devoting towards this cost to go do this hmm. and um it's honestly comes down to those financial considerations both in terms of the cost of something and your investment capacity to go do it so when you see these things like um you know, when you say, oh, Dish is going to go work with Amazon on doing hotel baseband and these other things. Part of that fundamental story underneath is that's Amazon coming along and saying, we will make the investment over the next three years so that you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And we'll develop a product here. We'll work with you to get it to you first. Uh, and then after we've done that, we have the ability to take that product to other people. And as we do that, instead of this costing you 100% if you had 100 percent if we sell it to 50 other people, then it's as if you only paid 2% of what it would cost to do it yourself. But you're able to we're able to amortize that across a whole bunch of other companies. That's the whole point of doing a globally available product that's across, you know, as large a customer base as possible, is because that has to be to those customers, they have to say that is cheaper than us doing it ourselves because there's 50 people like us fundamentally contributing to that, that success. And But that takes 5, 7, 10 years to get a, a product sort of effort to that kind of self-sustainability in a lot of cases, particularly in the infrastructure space. And so when you have a big company that's even bigger than your company saying, we will make the investment for you to do this. I mean, it's sort of no different than what we see in the privatization of space efforts. I mean, guys like NASA have always outsourced the building of things to Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin and stuff like that, right? But they never used any of those manufacturers and suppliers. They never let them commercialize any of those technologies on their own. They kept all the IP. You know, then you have the new generation of SpaceX and these types of things where they're still getting these guys to manufacture rockets and the like, but they're telling them, go ahead and commercialize it in other ways and keep the IP. Which means that for like a SpaceX, it means, oh, guess what? We can make a rocket for you that costs less than it has in the past right? because you're letting us sell it to other customers too. And you're letting us do these other things to it as well. Hmm. Uh, and uh, it just comes down to that. Who is the ability to invest? Uh, and how much of a walled garden is it? How much can you sort of go and build uh, a, a bigger sort of offering around it? Uh, and when you go and you do globally available products well like that, then the entire ecosystem that's in there gets that that benefit. But there's got to be somebody who sits down and says, we're going to make the investment. We're going to get this done. Uh, we're going to make sure it works for you. And then we're going to scale this across a lot of your peers like you, and then we'll just keep on iterating on that. And we'll have something here that's a really high quality investment that we're doing on behalf of the industry, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah not super complicated. Yeah. I like the way you break it down. Uh you know, it's it just there's um. Thanks, Dan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can just you can just take the compliment. I, I took it. Okay.
0: Next article that I have for you is oh. uh, the software security stack part one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Layer one software is the foundation that everything else is built on, as you know.
1: Uh, and what they mean by that is hardware. In the but, old software
0: uh, stack, it was the VMware virtualization platform, Microsoft operating system, et cetera. In the new stack, it's containers, software-defined networking, and uh, IAAS, such as AWS, Azure, GCP, Um, they're saying here that the ForgePoint is a venture capital firm. It's headed by Don Dixon and Alberto Mm -hmm. Yepez. Am I saying that right? Uh, Who are longtime friends of the telco industry. And what their firm is pointing out here is that there will be security plays across the stack, similar to today. But uh, the question that they're kind of asking is how will they manage this as they approach cloud-native strategies? Right now, telco Mm -hmm is a, essentially a closed system. Yeah. And um, the next article talks a little bit about that approach to security. It's called How Cloud Native Tech Will Impact 5G Mobile Networks. Mm-hmm. So, um,
1: Well, I'm going to make two, two quick comments and then we'll just move on from these articles. Comment okay. number one is I've always said that cloud and, of course, edge is highly accessible industrialized infrastructure. And it's highly accessible. Being highly accessible... Uh, changes, and you know, and having a multi-tenancy model in there, being a highly accessible multi-tenant, changes everything around security. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number two, being highly industrialized means that you're completely changing your software supply chain, and as we've seen in a lot of examples, there are a lot of vulnerabilities in one software supply chain. So you have a security, you know, sort of surface that emerges because you're making everything highly accessible and multi-tenant, you have an additional one and think of it almost like horizontal and you have an additional one that like vertically goes to your entire company around how you're managing your software supply chain. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you're going into quote unquote cloud native, you do actually have to have a completely different approach to security. Absolutely true. Uh, this article here from the Forgeport, Forgepoint forge point uh, capital folks, mm-hmm. Makes me fucking vomit in my mouth a little bit, <laughs> and and the reason no, but the, here's the reason why, and the okay. reason why is, um, I get that you're a VC and everything else like that. However, um, who the fuck is going to take layer one, two, three, four, five, and make these things that they're not? So there, there, there's a there's a model called the OSI model. Okay, it's been around. Fuck, I don't know, is it the early seventies. Right? Or maybe take a little bit longer. But but literally it's the open systems interconnection model, OSI model. Layer one is physical hardware. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not Raffi, Loft Lumio Air Gap. Okay. It's not infrastructure. It's physical. And you got a layer two. None of that's layer two. None that's layer two at all. That's a bunch of layer seven shit in the OSI model. So the worst thing you could possibly do is go and take a model that's been around for 40 fucking years in an industry that everyone basically refers to forever, use the same exact nomenclature, but just relabel all of it to other shit. Layer five is marketplaces. Like, really? Really? The session layer? That's marketplaces. It's a, it's a, um, it's a very bizarre semantics in this entire thing. And I, and I just don't – nobody has the right to do this. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So let's move on from that. All right. Let's get out of that one. God, so opinionated on it. It's just irritating. No, no. But it's a thing that's is, is literally uh, – it means something to the entire industry. And just because you sat down and said, "I, oh my God, these are five distinct things in my mind," I'll call them layers. You know, come on, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's lazy.
0: I like. No, I, I agree with you. I like. You're I don't
1: see how anybody would read that and understand it.
0: Well, that's that's but, what I'm that, asking you about. That it said,
1: for. let's talk. I mean, let's let's talk about lasers.
0: Let's talk about lasers. So, seven hundred terabytes of data was exchanged over twenty days. At speeds of up to uh, 20 gbps with 99.9% availability with the help of Econet, which is the multinational telecom's giant, not the old acorn networking system, just in case you were confused. The aim of the setup, the reason they did it was to relay broadband internet traffic between cities as a test of the equipment more than anything else. But lasers, I mean, lasers are awesome and um, we have to start thinking about communication services beyond ISPs that will be able to offer connectivity and I mean connectivity is really at the core of all of this but lasers it's kind of cool uh,
1: yeah other than pe- people use lasers for wireless communications
0: but I you don't so. you know you don't need to run cable you can just shoot lasers
1: uh, yeah yeah, that's um, how I
0: think we should do the show from now. We should just have a laser link between us.
1: Depends on um, depends on the, the frequency of it and the strength of it and that kind of thing. Lasers can be affected by uh, poor weather and an animal can walk through it. Um, it could.
0: Wouldn't the animal just it? get blasted?
1: I don't know. Well, that comes down to the strength of the laser.
0: I think we need. Um, I think for us, we need the strongest. But the laser same possible. thing. Look,
1: a, a laser. A laser is just a focused beam of of light, right? Right. And light is energy. Yep. And you have the spectrum of light, whether it be you know visible and infrared and X rays, everything else like that. And of course, in wireless communications, you're trying to use um, focused beams of energy to to send things around. So. Um, it's uh, great they're doing this. Uh, I don't see anything in here that's like, oh my god, you know. Before they did this, nobody's ever done this. So, I think they were just having fun. They're just having fun. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you know, you making a. I mean, think about it. You making a laser. You put it on a rooftop. You zip across this other rooftop. And, uh, and the guy on the other side sits down and says, oh, my God, you know, I can watch Netflix now. Thank you for the laser. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, this next article is called
0: Microsoft Lifts Amazon, at and Telco Talent. Azure's telco strategy is broader than AWS or Google at this stage. With more touch points across the value chain, Bell could potentially help refine the current strategy, which could include sharpening the focus on communication service providers. As both customers and channel partners are extending the strategy further into the enterprise as well, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so you know, telcos.
1: Yeah, I mean, at this level, um, uh, everybody's hiring from each other. That that happens.
0: Will telco so, win?
1: And uh, and probably the the more thing that's just keep in mind in there is is. Azure recently won a deal with T and part of that deal is they got a little old school like some of the telco vendors would get right and that they clearly according to this article acquired a team hmm. inside of T and in-house them to take that cost away from their customers uh and uh okay fine sounds good next article
0: well we <laughs> we are into the uh into the lightning round
1: oh okay good. which is
0: which is, i know is your favorite
1: yeah, because we gotta. I think we gotta. We gotta wrap. We gotta, we gotta wrap. Real, but I'll you tell you, so got real life to do.
0: So the first thing is, AT and T partners with military for maritime five G edge compute experiments. AT and T has a new agreement with the U S. military. Uh, they are going to be connecting unmanned robots, aerial drones, autonomous underwater vehicles into a single system, assisted by five G and edge computing. It is a three year collaborative research and development agreement with the Naval awesome. Postgraduate School or NPS or NIPS, as you call it to support a variety of 5G-focused experiments at NIPS facilities. Nice. Uh, pretty Sounds... cool. I mean, no, I didn't read anything in there about lasers, but it's going to utilize the millimeter wave spectrum in the 39 gigahertz band and mid-band LTE. And I have a question mm-hmm. for you, uh, mm. as someone who's not not an expert in this. It I'm seems like they talk... Not, not an expert. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems like they talk a lot about... What wave spectrums are being used? What bands are being used? um mm-hmm. Outside of you know, for people like me who are who are not living and breathing this every day, what's the big deal? Why why is that such? Was that important? Does that tell you? Oh well, they're using the thirty nine gigahertz man. Well, like, does that mean something? Why didn't they use the forty second well, the best, one? The
1: best yeah, the best analogy on this is uh, is there a different If you go to the radio, is there a difference between being at one hundred one point one or one hundred six point seven? No. Well, they're different radio stations, Dan.
0: Right, but I mean
1: they, they have different content on them.
0: Yeah, but they're uh, technical. Technically, they're, it wasn't necessarily now. So better the higher now. and higher,
1: the higher and the higher the frequency gets. Like when you look at the radio, that's like 101 megahertz. Now you're talking about 39 gigahertz. So as that as that hertz number gets larger, you can put more data in those okay um, wavelengths. So that, that makes that's, sense. That's, that's, that's the reason why. Like you can't go down in the frequency like that and do "quote unquote" high bandwidth. Mm-hmm. You can you'll you can be down to you know kilobits per second, you know, depending on where you are. So, so it's just a, you know basically as the frequency uh, goes up, uh, the data capacity of that uh, part of the spectrum goes up as well.
0: All right, the next uh, item in the lightning round: autonomous express shop pop up. Is coming to music festivals. (laughs) Verizon's mobile edge computing mech platform is the foundation of temporary (laughs) tap-and-go stores being offered Uh at musical events, including Uh Bottle Rock Napa Valley Music Festival. Uh um, It's known as the Express Shop, and it is a frictionless pop-up store, and it runs on the Verizon mech platform and 5G network, along with the AFI computer vision and artificial intelligence-based autonomous shopping solution. So here's Uh how it works. Customers enter… By tapping Uh a credit card at the entrance, then they're inside the little store and the AFI's computer vision powered cameras track what items are taken and customers can exit and the receipt is sent to them in there via email. So it's like the future shop. You just walk in, you're like, I want one of these, one of those, you walk out, knows what you did.
1: Amazing. The future's here, Dan.
0: SK Telecom Sinclair Advanced 5G based UHD broadcasting. Oh, you know what? What? Um, you got to go?
1: Yeah, I had a one o'clock. That I'm late for. Okay. So well, we're, we we're will ready, just uh, gonna, we'll wrap it gonna. up there.
0: We'll pretend that we did. Well, that's it, Jason. That's all we got.
1: Yeah, sounds good.
0: But uh, anyone who wants to get in touch with Jason, you could do it by going to Living on the Edge. Show, click contact and uh, send an email. We'll get it. We'll talk about it. You can also hit up Jason on Twitter. He's at Jason H, and I'm at Dan Benjamin. And uh, that's it. That's all we got for you. Have a good week. We'll see you all again next time. Have a good one, Jason. Thank
1: you. Bye.